0: Now, I am looking forward to hearing from John Crosby today and his wife, Laura, teaching together on what Paul says here about relationships. But first, I'm going to read the passage from Romans 12 that we're going to be taking a closer look at today. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
1: If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's Romans 12, 18, which is our focus today, but there's a lot of didactic material in this passage that Mark just read on conflict and reconciliation. A lot of do this, don't do that. So we want to give some context, some personal and some biblical context. First, the personal. Now, I Really like to write dates in my Bible next to passages that uh, are meaningful to me that I have prayed over. And next to this passage that we read today, I have the name of um, two of our friends and dates written over and over again as I have prayed for them. Over the years, I've read and tried to apply the verses in Romans 12, 9 to 21, especially to this relationship I'm going to tell you about, but it's complicated and I need to preach to myself. So several years ago, John and I sat outside on a summer evening at Dairy Queen with two of our closest friends, a husband and wife. We raised our kids together, we spent holidays with them, we traveled with them, um, and as we sat there, our friend, the husband, just poured out anger and vitriol and he was so upset with a decision that John had made, uh, a church decision. And as the four of us sat there, he spewed out this um, bitterness with such intensity that I felt like there was this bucket of uh, poison being dumped on us. Now, his issue was with John, but I listened floored, just speechless. Now, John also listened for a long time. And then he said, you know what? you're right. We may not agree on everything, but here are two places where I think I made mistakes. And he proceeded to name specifically the mistakes he felt like he had made. Now, after that, I waited for our friend to respond with some recognition of possibility that perhaps his perspective was limited, or he also might have been fallible in some way in this situation. I hoped at least for some recommitment to partnership in ministry or an acknowledgement of God's redemptive power in our relationship, in our friendship. But it never came. He and his wife left the church. This is hard stuff to swallow. I grieve daily over this. My journals reflect how much I have wrestled with what, if anything, to do in response.
2: So that's the reason uh, that this Passage has such a personal meaning for us. But we think it's almost certainly got to be the same for you. You've been in some similar situation. You're, you've gotten estranged from a sibling, or there's a, a marriage in crisis. You're barely talking. There can be splits over theological differences with a friend in a small group, or it can be about public life, conflict in the Middle East, or between political parties these days fights between members in the same church about how things are being handled, conflicts between spouses that get so hot you can't even talk anymore. At work, our colleagues are estranged from us sometimes. So you feeling pretty good uh, right now?
1: No, we really want you engaged. So I'm gonna ask you right now if you can identify a relationship in your life, where there is conflict or brokenness. And I want you to type me in the text box on your computer screen. And if you want to be even braver, if you want to get more specific about who, type in family, friend, colleague, boss, wherever that relationship is where you've experienced some pain and brokenness.
2: Life is filled with conflict and, uh, and sometimes it goes bad. Eugene actually started our series off by giving us some tools to use to keep conflict healthy and and productive, mostly inside us. As we grow in our trust with Jesus, how do we conflict with others? How do we argue better? What we'd like to go is one step further. What happens when the conflict continues and the relationship breaks down so that You can't even talk to each other or it's so stilted when you get together that you're not acting normal. What do you do in those situations? My experience is that often people move to one of two extremes when somebody has deeply offended them. We can lob truth grenades, often with scripture. We hurl explosive, angry tirades toward that other person, usually not in person, on the phone or in an email, or a meeting, or even on social media. And after we throw the junk, we retreat to our own emotional bunker feeling, you're so wrong, you need to wallow in your wrongness. And there's some part of every one of us that loves feeling right and righteous. But that outrage is like a lot of other bad things. It feels good, but over time, it devours our soul from the inside out we're offended. So we attack in anger without really listening to the other person. Or the second way that I think people respond, more common among Christians, is that we take our resentment, our anger, our bitterness, and we stuff it in the disguise of grace, covering everything. And we paste on a smile and we never address the issue.
1: It's fine. Everything's fine. Bless you. So again, we want you to jump in here. Which are you more prone to do when you've been hurt? Attack or stuff? Write in the text box, attack or stuff or both. And I think I'm likely to do both. I will often attack. I'll write all these emails that I'll never send, and then I'll pull back and try to get to some in-between place. But write in the text box, attack, stuff, or both.
2: Both can feel safe, but are they really? I I think in some ways we're taking the easy way out. We're we're cowards uh, with this sometimes. And that mask that we wear, that little I'm fine, it's all fine, we're fine, is covering the real issue. And I've come to believe that Jesus is calling us to a a third way, dealing with these broken relationships in a different way fashion.
1: So we've shared an example of conflict in our life. We've suggested places where you might see it in yours. What about the Bible? The whole Bible is a story of relationships, right? Primarily our relationship with God who created us and loves us, and then our relationship with each other. The Bible is also full of conflict, broken relationships, right? because we're sinful and selfish and we're proud and controlling. Now, some of the examples of conflict in the Bible are corporate. They're church disagreements. But many, many of them are about individual broken relationships. Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, David and his son Absalom. I shared our story of a broken relationship. Now look at a broken relationship in the life of the very man who wrote the Romans passage we just read. In the New Testament, we read about Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas is the great encourager. And Paul, the teacher, evangelizer, working together. Paul and Barnabas working together. And they mentor a young man named John Mark. In Acts 15.36, we read this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, we don't know why. We don't know why John Mark deserted them, but this was a big deal. Verse 39 says, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, I want to focus on one detail. The conflict that we just read about between Paul and Barnabas and John Mark happens between Paul's first and second missionary journeys. Then scholars think that Paul wrote Romans and what we read today in Romans 12 during his third missionary journey. Now, I point this out because I wonder how much the Holy Spirit was working on Paul personally as Paul was writing these guidelines about conflict to the believers in Rome. Isn't that ironic that Paul, who has this broken relationship with Barnabas and John Mark, is the one who wrote these exhortations in Romans 12?
2: So hold on to that thought. We want to take a a little closer look at what happens here in Romans 12. Paul has spent the whole first part of Romans laying out what the gospel is, the good news, emphasizing that every one of us are sinful. All of us are in need of grace, that free gift of forgiveness God offers through Jesus. And now in chapter 12, especially in verses 9 to 21, Paul gets to how our behavior toward each other should be motivated by the grace that we ourselves have received. You've probably heard the saying, hurting people hurt people. I I think that's true. But the Apostle Paul tweaks it. He says, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. So the first part of Romans was all about that forgiveness that we've all received. And now being forgiven should result in us forgiving other people. That's why... In Romans 12, 19 to twenty nine to 21, even if we lump things together, there are at least 12 different commands or exhortations here. It's a lot of to-dos, and it's not like they're easy tasks. They all relate to conflict and tension in relationships. Times where we have been wronged or inadvertently wounded, and all of these commands are in service to one verse. Verse 18, Verse 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He doesn't say, now, if it's possible, tell everybody else what they've done wrong. That's one of my spiritual gifts. (laughs) Paul says, you do
1: you. But what does that look like in real life? We want to talk about two priorities and two action steps for each of the priorities. Now, the first priority in pursuing peace, I believe, is humility. The, there are several verses in Romans 12 that highlight the importance of humility. Verse 10 says, honor one another above yourselves. Verse 16 says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. It says, do not be conceited. So if we're going to pursue peace with humility, I think there are two actions we can take. The first action is to ask, what is my part? It takes humility to turn inward and say, what's my part in this offense? Are we gonna be brave enough to own our own sin? It's so easy to see faults in others, right? So go over the situation in your mind, really go over it. Ask God to remove your blind spots and ask what could or should I have done differently? Is there anything? So uh, second question for better understanding Second thing to do, the second action step is to question for better understanding and then really listen, make no assumptions. This is so important. Often when we're wounded, we tell the worst story in our head to explain the action of others. So I need to ask, am I putting the worst or the best spin on this? Don't just ask questions, but pray, Lord, help me to truly listen and understand the other person. David Augsburg says, being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person can't tell the difference. Hmm. Now, I have a friend, uh, several friends who are working towards peace and reconciliation in the Middle East. And a big part of working towards peace and, Ill- and reconciliation is getting people to listen to each other's stories and really understand them. So a friend of mine gathered a group of women, Palestinian women, and Israelis, and they took on the exercise of telling the story of the other, basically telling the story of their enemy as if it was their own. So the Israelis had to tell the story of the Palestinians as if it was their own, and same with with the Palestinians. And so they had to listen, had to have listened so well that they could tell the other story, and in telling the other story as if it were their own, they gained empathy So the first priority in pursuing peace is humility with these two action steps. The second priority when pursuing peace is blessing. If we look at another set of the verses highlighted in Romans 12, we see this priority of blessing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So if we're going to pursue peace with blessing, now another two actions we can take. First action in terms of blessing is ask, what is my motive, really? If I talk to the other person about this, is my motive one of understanding their perspective, blessing them and bringing life, even if that's hard or uncomfortable? Or do I really just wanna defend myself and make myself feel better by telling them what a mean person they are?
2: all all in the name of Jesus, of course. We know that this community has profited from the wisdom of Dallas Willard. Willard once said something that went right from my head to my heart. He said, there are two great words in the Bible that describe the posture of of our souls toward other people. One of those words is to bless, and the other is to curse, we're creatures with wills, and in every encounter that you have with other people, you will either what is good for them or we fail to do that, and so curse them. We will what is bad.
1: Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. When we bless, we choose life. So the first action in order to bless is to examine our motives. And then the second action in order to bless is to pray for the person who's hurt you. This is hard to pray for your enemy. So for example, I might pray, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your love and mercy on these friends who have hurt us. Help me to see the pain that may be motivating their words or actions. Help me to extend grace to them as you do to me.
2: So... What we're talking about here is we've gotten into conflict with someone and the conflict has gone bad. It's not just we disagree, but it's hurt the very relationship. And so, what we're trying to do is to say, how do we pursue peace? How do we get back to health? What we've said so far is that action is summed up in two priorities that we take when we've been offended. Two, characteristics that I believe we see in Jesus. The first is the idea of humility instead of pride or lashing back. The second is the idea that we are put into this world to bless people. Humility and blessing, which sounds great, but I can just hear that little voice in your head, but you don't understand. They did this to me, but but they, What about what about them? What about What about justice? What about all the ways that I've been hurt that they won't acknowledge? My experience is that usually in relationships, it's complicated. There's plenty of blame to go around. We tend to magnify the way we feel mistreated and we minimize our own responsibility. I know that's true of me. I loved Cheryl last week saying, We need to examine ourselves on the inside because we are always part of the issue. And instead, both of us need to ask for forgiveness and offer forgiveness where that's needed. And I'll tell you why. Because the goal of the evil one is to keep you separated. To keep you separated from God and from that other person. We believe that forgiveness is God's key to the restoration, both of our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. But that takes humility, and that takes learning how to be a blessing.
1: So let us ask you again to type in the chat, in a situation of conflict, which is hardest for you? Is the hardest thing a posture of humility questioning for better understanding, examining your own motives? Or is the hardest thing for you blessing, praying for the person that has hurt you? Which is harder, right? Humility or blessing in the chat box? Whichever is the bigger challenge for you, because we're all in this together.
2: Again, the bottom line, verse 18, if it's possible... That means it's not always possible. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's go back to the Apostle Paul. I think there's some evidence that Paul listened to his own words. He heeded his own advice and reconciled at least with John Mark and perhaps with Barnabas as well. And the evidence that I get is in the very last letter, written long after Romans, the last letter that we ever see Paul writing is to his protege, Timothy. And at the very end of that last letter, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, says this, that leaves only Luke here with me. So find John Mark and bring him with you because he's a tremendous help for me and my ministry. Clearly, there's been reconciliation there. Laura and I have come to believe that um, forgiveness is always possible. Hard, but but possible, but reconciliation takes both parties. Now, reconciliation has not yet been possible with our friends who left the church. But we believe that forgiveness is, and that's our responsibility. Forgiveness is a way of blessing them. Forgiveness blesses the other. It says, I want God's best for you, regardless of what's happened, regardless of what I think you've done to me. Paul could have forgiven Barnabas and Mark, but not been reconciled if John, Mark, and Barnabas weren't willing to come together too and talk it out and understand and forgive. Paul is human just like me, just like you. He had difficult relationships. He didn't just write to the church about how to handle conflict. He lived it. There's evidence that he worked to apply these principles to himself, And if Paul can do it, so can we. What if Menlo Church was a church that was marked with people who had a posture of humility instead of being so self-righteous? What if it was a church with people who examined our own hearts, people who questioned for a better understanding instead of assuming the worst or asking questions in a way that put other people down? What if this church became known as people who chose to bless instead of curse? People who, if it's possible, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with other people. I'm telling you, people would notice and people would want whatever is happening here. May God bless you.